I'm Julie Lamb, a therapist turned life and business coach. In all my years as a therapist and coach, I have seen that true healing and growth comes from understanding your greatest asset, your brain. To manage your life and business, you first have to manage your mind. I'm here to help you figure out what the hell is my brain doing? Hello, my friends, and welcome back to What the Hell is My Brain Doing? I am really excited about today's guest. This is somebody that we've run around the same circles together. And the reason I'm so excited to introduce Adrienne to you today is because she's going to really talk about the things that embody everything we've tried to express about the brain. As you all know, your brain, your greatest asset is sometimes a jerk. And so I want to talk about like how we can start shifting that so that we can move away from some of the self-sabotage that our brain does and move more into the belief in ourselves, which is one of the greatest mindset shifts that we can have. So as we get talking about this, I'm so excited to bring Adrienne on. She's going to tell her story and how she has molded and shifted that belief in herself. As we do this, I want you to think about you. Think about your brain and how your brain will try to tell you all the ways that you can fail, all the ways that it can't go right. And perhaps through this, you can see actually all the ways it could go right, all the ways that we can have these amazing experiences. So I'm going to introduce Adrienne Evett. She is a chef, an author, a business coach, and mom. I will say she's such a great example of truly living your dream in a way that I think is sometimes you don't even think about. She has a farm stand called Urban Dreamer Farm, and it is in Northern California in the Auburn area. Sierra Foothills is what she calls it. So guys, I have to tell you, I've had her products. I wish she lived closer. I would have it all the time, but she is amazing at what she does. But that's only part of what she does. As an author, she has an extraordinary planner at Amazon that you can get that helps walk you through the planning purposes that you need in your life. And she truly has so many amazing gifts to share. And with that, Adrienne, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you. It's so fun to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Well, with all of that in mind, I want to know kind of your story. Like, how did you first start to realize that you really did start to believe in yourself? Like, when did you realize that that was happening in your own life? So I would say my first story about belief happened pretty young. I was in second grade when this sort of manifested itself for me. I didn't really realize what was happening until much later, probably like mid high school. But when I was in second grade, I was tested my IQ. They used to make you do an IQ test in the 60s, 70s, like that time frame. And that's when they would do it when you were in second grade. And they did an IQ test for me. And apparently my IQ was a little low. And so they used to take a little small handful of us when we were like seven during math, they would take us out of the class and we would go work with the principal, who is also a teacher of our school. And he would help us sort of work through some of the word problems and math and stuff like that. And so I asked my parents why this was happening. And I don't really know what they said. I just know that I understood that it was because I was extra smart and extra special. When I was a little bit older, a year or two older, maybe a year older, we moved from California to the East Coast. We moved a few times. And one of the times we had moved, I had fallen in with a group of girls. We were in about seventh grade and they were all really smart. They were actually really smart. And so they were in this cool class like an extra credit, cool project class called special projects. It was only for people who had a certain GPA or higher and they qualified and it was really neat. Like you got to do fun stuff of your choosing and you got extra credit for it and everything that was going to be applied to high school and honors and everything. And so I came home to my mom and I said, my friends are in this cool special projects class. And since I'm also smart and special, <laughs> I would like to be in that class too. And I asked the teacher and all she said was she had to talk to my parents. 
And so I did not qualify to be in that class for sure. I did not. But I don't know what my parents said to the teacher, but they somehow allowed me to enter into that class and get it for like no credit. I don't know what they said, but they allowed me to do it and not get credit for it. And for me, that was totally fine because I got to do extra smart stuff and I got to be working with my friends. And so I was fine with that. And so in my life there, like middle school, high school, I just always had this belief. I really, truly, to my core, believed that I was extra smart and extra special because that's what my parents made me believe when I was about seven. And so anytime I was in a class, it just never crossed my mind that I shouldn't be getting like a straight A student, like honor student at anything. So I had to work extra hard. Like really, I studied a lot because it didn't cross my mind that I shouldn't have been in that type of student. And I was, I became that type of student. I got honors this and, you know, honors that. I ended up not being good enough to get into, I I always thought I was going to go to an Ivy League school because I believed I was, like I said, (laughs) very (laughs) smart, very special. I was not smart enough for an Ivy League school for sure. And I applied early admission thinking, of course, it's going to happen. I was completely delusional and I did not come close to getting in. The admissions people actually said to me, you are such a fabulous person. We would love to have you, but your grades just didn't be enough. I'm sorry. (laughs) Sorry. No, no chance. And so I ended up at a different college and I went there for a couple of years. I actually practically dropped out. I came home because it was a little too hard for me. And at home at the time was Philadelphia. And while I was home, I got a full-time job as a bank teller. I bartended at night. I did whatever I could to make ends meet while I tried to figure out what the heck I was going to do with my life. And in town was the University of Pennsylvania, which is a very fabulous Ivy League university. And so I went to the admissions office there and I said, this working without a degree is not my long-term goal. So what can I do to maybe take a class here or something? I don't know what. And I don't know what I was thinking because my grades from my other university were not great. And so they said, well, you can't apply because that's just a waste of time. But what you can do is you can take a class as a summer school student. And as long as you're still enrolled in your other university, you can just not matriculate. You can just take classes as a student in another university. So I said, okay, I'll do that. I'm going to take the hardest class I can. I'm going to prove that I belong here. And then maybe you'll let me in. And they were like, okay, well, good luck. So I took like an advanced calculus class. I put all of my heart and soul into that. And I got like a 4.0 in that class. And then I said, okay, can I apply now? And they said, after one class, no, but we can let you take one more. And this is me paying my way. I was paying my own way through school. So I, as a bartender, I would make a bunch of tips and I would be like, okay, how much can, how many classes can I buy this semester? And I would buy my classes one at a time. And they kept letting me take one class at a time. And I kept taking more and more advanced calculus classes. I just tried to pick the hardest thing so that it looked like I belonged there. And I just kept getting straight A's. And so I did that one class at a time. Once I did two classes for a year and a half maybe one more semester after that. And they eventually were like, okay, you have a 4.0, you have this many credits under your belt, you can go ahead and apply. And I applied and they admitted me. And then I finished my degree at the University of Pennsylvania, working full time, going to school at night, basically. And I graduated magna cum laude, and I've never been more proud. And my parents have never been more proud. They were like, we did not see that coming. 
And the interesting thing, I think, is that I didn't realize that I really kind of, quote, didn't belong, which obviously I'm putting it in quotes because I did belong, you know? Yeah. But I didn't realize that I really shouldn't have belonged until I was in high school. And my parents said, we just have to tell you something. We're so proud of you, but we need you to know about this story that you maybe got a little bit wrong. And at that point, I was in so many like honors classes and like had already gotten so many good grades that I just kind of said, wow, it's amazing what belief in yourself (laughs) can accomplish. So I tell a lot of my mom friends this story. I have young children. And so a lot of my mom friends love that story because it's really good for parents of kids, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's the story. That's my first belief story. I love it. And I think there's two things that really, really stand out that I think all of us can take from it. One is obviously when you were a child, it was somebody else that had all this belief in you. They didn't sit there and say, you can't do these things. You've got too many things going against you. Instead, your parents said, you get to go to this class because you're extra smart, extra special, like it's a good thing. And by framing it that way, your brain was able to take in, oh, this is good. I love though how that carried you through everything. It was like all you needed was somebody else to believe in you and your brain just soaked that up and said that I'm going to believe in me too. And a lot of times we need to be our first big advocates. I wish that I could say everybody had these great big advocates at first, but sometimes it's not always the case. So when you look at it and you say, I've got all these people telling me I can't do it. I can't, I can't, I can't. We step back and say, but what if I could? And I love that that's what happened the next time. The next time that it was basically challenged, that it was like, you can't do this. Like, what are you even thinking? What are you even trying? Why are you trying this? And you're just like, watch me, watch me make it happen. And a lot of times we think some things just come to luck or things just happen because we are in the right place at the right time. We just had it handed to us. And those are the imposter syndrome thoughts that we have. And right here, you just showed, actually, I'm going to go after what I want. I'm going to work for it. Is it going to be easy? No, but it's going to be so worth it in the end because you look at all of these experiences and do you sit there and think, oh, how different would it have been had I just simply not believed I could do it? Oh, so true. I know it's, it's everything. Just having that expectation, really. Mm -hmm. Like if you just expect that that is the result that needs to happen, you just don't stop trying until it does. And I mean, this has been true. So I'm a baker now. I have a culinary business. I make hundreds and hundreds of pies, cakes, muffins, breads, et cetera, every single week. And when I try a new recipe, if I'm convinced that I am going to be successful at this thing, I will just not stop trying until I get it right. And that was true when I learned how to make croissants. I'd watch some videos. I read a book. I was like, I can, I can figure this out. Well, croissants are a little bit complicated. I mean, there's 81 layers of butter and there's a process where you roll them out and keep tri-folding them and they have to rise a certain way and they can get sticky if you don't do things right. So the butter has to be the right temperature. Like there are lots of factors, right? Lots of circumstances, which you can totally relate this to life, like all these external circumstances. And I mean, having this belief pattern, you start with what you want And then you just start thinking about instead of what could go wrong, start thinking about what's going right and just keep pushing in that direction. Just keep trying and trying and trying until you get it right. And then you'll eventually get there. Because the more your brain focuses on that positive, what I want, what's going right, the more your brain will look for evidence for it. The more your brain will find it and say, this is what's going right. This is what I can do and keep pushing forward. Because how many times did you fail at making croissants before you really, truly figured it out? So So many. And how many times could you have given up and said, I'm done. I'm never going to do this again. 
Oh, I could have so many times, really. It's so interesting because I wanted to learn how to make baguettes one year. And it was kind of like my friend and neighbor was like, oh, you should make baguettes. I love baguettes. You should do it. And I was like, yeah, okay. I'll see if I can figure it out. And I worked on it for about a year, but it really wasn't something that I wanted desperately. And I never figured it out. And I kind of dropped it. I was like, ah, I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to learn that one. My brain really didn't work that hard to look for evidence that it was going to (laughs) happen. And it didn't happen. I think that's such an interesting thing too, that if we're not excited about it, we're not interested in it, it doesn't matter how much you push forward, your brain's going to be like, do we really have to? Because remember guys, our brain's lazy. (laughs) Our brain doesn't want to do those things. So I love that the more excited you are, the more enthusiastic, the more you believe in yourself, then the more likely you are to do it. So we want to look at that and say, to me, I feel like all of that kind of led you to this path of making your dreams come true. So Adrian, your life should be fantastic, right? Like all of these things, you should have these great paths, all this stuff, but talk to us a little about like you went the corporate route. So you had a corporate job, then became an entrepreneur, but I would love to know like your experience in corporate, like how did your belief change in yourself during that time? I was a corporate executive with a fortune five company for 24 years. So a pretty significant Mm -hmm. corporate career. I spent time in that company all over the world and, and in lots of different disciplines. So I lived literally all over the world. I lived and worked in 17 different countries. I lived all over the United States. I spent time in the disciplines of corporate finance, compliance, process improvement, audit, HR, training, and then finally in a consulting role. And so in order for me to be able to shift from one discipline to another, I had to have the desire to want to do something different, which I definitely did. And I mean, eventually it manifested itself in leaving corporate America. But, you know, while I was there, I was constantly sort of poking at different things, like trying to figure out, like, where's my zone of genius? Like, where's my zone of love and joy and passion and all of that? I taught a finance class really early in my career that taught every company should have multiple streams of income. And I just latched onto that. Like, I don't even know, like a leech. (laughs) I was like, I need to have multiple streams of income. Oh my goodness, mind blown. So pretty early on, I just kept trying lots of different side hustles too. And so I just kept working through different disciplines because honestly, I didn't like some of them. There were times that were really hard. There were times in finance when I was like, what does it all mean? What am I doing? I hate this. I want to quit. I want to leave. I hate my boss. I hate whatever, you know, whatever. It would always be trying to find the things that I love. I mean, 60, 70, 80 hour weeks when I was working in some of the jobs that I had. I spent times overseas in the most gorgeous cities where I never saw the outside of a conference room mm-hmm. and a hotel room. It's so depressing. Yeah. Like, people are like, oh, you've been to Munich? Yeah, I lived in Munich for a long time, but I didn't see that much of it. Or Tokyo. I mean, I lived in Tokyo for a long time too, but I didn't see that much of it because I was working all the time. So it wasn't all rainbows and roses for sure. And I didn't just automatically get everything that I wanted, but everything that I really wanted, I really worked for and eventually I got it. I think one of the things that I think is so interesting is as you talk about this corporate, you try different things. Your brain Mm -hmm. would say, let's try this. Okay, let's try that. It was almost like there was no limit to what you could or couldn't try. You just decided and said, I'm going to try it and figure it out. I would love to know, like, as you were trying these things out, how did you know that if you wanted to follow through with that? Like, what was that whole process like for you? Oh, so fun. 
Well, if it was a job, I would try special projects in that discipline before I tried to move into the function. So okay. like when I was in finance and I was trying to figure out if I wanted to do HR, I worked on some projects with the HR team, like in my spare time. I call it dipping my toe in. I would dip my toe in and test it out and see if after I worked on a project and it was really hard or long hours or something, do I still love it? And if it was a side hustle, I did exactly the same thing. I did a side hustle teaching Pilates for a while. And I had this idea that it would be super fun to have my own Pilates studio. And so a really fancy gym hired me on to be a Pilates instructor two nights a week. First, it was one night a week. So I did that one night a week loved it. Went to two nights a week, still loved it. Decided to have my own Pilates class that I sort of wasn't affiliated with the gym. So like I found a space, I did all the marketing, I had people sign up with me directly. I did all of it. And I did that once a week. And then I went to two nights a week. So at that point, I was teaching Pilates four nights a week. And I was like, okay, I have to be able to teach at least four nights a week if I'm going to have a studio because I would probably be teaching a lot more than that. When I hit four nights a week, I didn't love it anymore. Said, well, that means this is meant to be a side thing. It's not, I loved it enough once or twice a week, but not enough to like actually leave corporate America and do it as a thing. So another thing that I tried was teaching a little, um, like a cooking school in my kitchen on like Sunday afternoons. I did that a few times. It was an awful lot of work and not much money. And I was like, hmm, I don't know if the cooking school is right. I love teaching, but I think cooking like in another area might be something to look at later. And in fact, that did come up later. But there was a lot of things like this, like a, just a lot of little dipping my toe into something, poking at it, trying it, testing it, seeing how I feel, constantly checking in with myself. Does it still feel good? Does it still feel like something that I love and that I want to be doing all this time and spending all this time and dedication on? That was my measure that I used constantly. And I actually still use that measure today if I'm making a recipe for my farm stand. If I don't feel good when I'm cooking the thing, whatever it is, then it doesn't stay on the menu. <laughs> I stop making it. It doesn't matter how much people ask for it. I just don't make it anymore. I think this is such an important concept about how sometimes we feel like we just have to keep moving forward. We just got to keep doing it. It's just, we're in it. We got to do it. But being able to say, I'm just dipping my toe in. Does this feel good? Can I continue doing this? Is a really great way for your brain to also give it, I'm going to call it a little bit of flex. So that your brain is able to say, oh, okay, we're just testing this. This is good. We can keep doing this. And when your brain hits a limit and all of us have this upper limit in our brain where it's basically like, this is it. I can't do anymore. It's really important to listen to that. And and to say in those instances, if I kept going, is it something I could enjoy? And with that, we all know that your brain's going to have these limits and you're going to want to push through some of them because it's for growth and it's good. But there's a lot of times when you're just trying to figure out what do I like? What do I want to do? And is it okay to test and experiment? And this is a perfect way dipping the toe in, you know, seeing how that goes. I love that, that whole example there. That's such a great one. Yeah, so then you eventually, fun. you left corporate America. So what made you I finally did. decide I'm going to leave? Like I'm ready to do this. So I, I wouldn't say I made like a conscious decision. I definitely was at a point in my career where I didn't feel like it was sustainable. I had three young like babies, mm -hmm. like little babies. They were one, three and five when I left corporate America. And I remember thinking I was at the time working in a position where I was a healthcare system consultant. So I was a GE consultant working for any large hospital system in the United States. And I would travel for work 100% of the time. They build for me by 
by the hour, like an attorney. Mm-hmm. And I had babies. Like I did that whole job. I was pregnant and had babies like during that whole time. So I was literally pregnant or breastfeeding like for seven years. And it was those seven years, like while I was traveling hundred percent of the time, I got very familiar with TSA mm-hmm. because I know all you breastfeeding mamas out there know that they always have to check your breast pump out <laughs> when it goes through security and they always have to test your breast milk out, all of that stuff. So that was me going through that. And I just remember working in those conditions and thinking, I like this work. I don't love it as much as I used to love it. And I don't think this is sustainable. I just kept saying to myself, this is not sustainable. I don't think this is sustainable. I'm not going to be able to keep doing this. And meanwhile, my husband was like a full-time stay-at-home dad. And I was so jealous. That's what I wanted to do. He, That's what he was doing. And I just didn't feel like it was going to stick. But meanwhile, we had decided to move up to Northern California and buy a farm in this fabulous area. This We're in the Sierra foothills. It's basically farm country, horse country, wine country. Like that's where we live. We have a 20-acre farm. We moved here. And several months after we moved here, I started to encounter some health problems that were very perplexing, even to my doctors. And ultimately, I had to medically retire from the job. So I left corporate America. And here we are on this farm in Northern California. My husband's been a stay-at-home dad forever. And he was in the military before that. So he's like, I don't know what I'm going to (laughs) do. And I'm kind of half sick. And I'm thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I was doing a multi-level marketing, like a network marketing company at the time, one of my side hustles. And it kept us afloat until we kind of figured it all out. But it was not an unwelcome departure from corporate America, but it was definitely sad. Mm -hmm. And there was not like a conscious, I'm consciously leaving and going towards something else. It was more like, oh, okay, I need to figure out what else I'm going to do now. But I had so many tools and experiences at my disposal that I just feel like maybe I was in a good position to figure it out. Yeah. And I love that that you have this thought, I can figure this out. I can do this. And you have so much experience and so many things that said, I can figure this out. I can do this. But then something happened. And this is, I know this part of the story, but I want to just share how even when you have all that belief, the belief that I can figure this out, I can do this. Sometimes there are circumstances that are definitely outside of our control. Like she mentioned her health. There are things that happen that we just suddenly can't control. And that definitely feeds into this belief in ourselves. So as you were going through this next few years and the belief in yourself definitely got tested, walk us through that. What was that like for you? And how did you come out to still believing that you could do those things? Well, gosh, I didn't believe any, I could do anything during that time. I mean, that was a really, really hard time. That was like a low. And I mean, we were very much struggling like on state support and Like we got, when we went to the, the places that give you food for free, like the food banks, like we were going there and feeding our family with that stuff. Like that was a really low, low time. So much uncertainty put so much pressure on us as a family and on our marriage. Like it was a really hard time. So I would say that my belief was definitely tested during that time for sure. I mean, you have all these experiences that say, I can believe in myself. I can do these things. And then suddenly it feels like that was shot. It was like, yeah, you didn't have it was that like anymore. every day. Like what the F am I going to do? <laughs> like every day. Yeah. Yeah. It was rough. And I mean, we were, we almost lost the farm multiple times. How are we going to pay the mortgage kind of a situation? It was tough. So what did you do? Where did the belief come that you're now to the point where you are now? So just like anything in my whole history, we basically chipped away at everything, like dipped our toe in. Okay. What do we want? Okay. Let's try 
buy something. So my husband went and got a commercial truck driver's license and just tried to find something that would pay. And so he started doing that. And then I put all of my energy into my multi-level marketing business and it grew pretty, grew pretty well, which was great. My husband said, you know, what would be really fun is you should do a farm stand. You know, we have all the right zoning at our property for us to do it. And then we could grow vegetables and you could make some of your good spaghetti sauce and some of your cupcakes and whatever. And I had already had Urban Dreamer Farm was already my business. It was already a blog that I was writing. We started it many years before. It was really just a blog and people used to come to our cute little urban farm in LA and buy like eggs and parsley and stuff like that. It was not something that was going to pay the bills. It was more just like a fun little side thing. And I looked at him and I said, you know, I've been working for a long time and you've been taking care of the kids for a long time. Why don't you start a farm stand? And I mean, and it was said with all the malice that you think. (laughs) (laughs) I was kind of like, why do I have to do it? You do it. So he said it for many months. He said, I I really think you should start a farm stand. And I basically gave him the same answer every time he said it. And eventually he said, you know what? I am. I'm going to start a farm stand. I said, great. (laughs) And then He said, is it possible that you would consider helping me a little bit? And I said, of course, I'll help you, honey, with your farm stand. So we had a little farm stand in our driveway, in the bottom of our driveway in 2018, April of 2018. And we made the kids stand out in the road and wave signs because they're cute and tried to get people to drive in and buy. I had like muffins and granola and eggs and plants and produce and stuff like that. We made $33 that first farm stand (laughs) and about a half an hour into the farm stand, Stephen looked at me, Stephen's my husband, and he said, hey, I have a a couple things I have to get done on the tractor. I'm just going to go do that real quick and um, I'll see you later. And I was like, "Uh, okay. And he never came back. (laughs) I did that. I was there every week with very few exceptions every week since then. So it's been almost six years now. And within the first two and a half years, we were a six-figure business, top line, not bottom line. And now we're a multiple six-figure business and it pays our bills. The farm stand has changed our life. And when I first started doing it, I was really against it. Like I was so adamant that this was not going to be my thing that I basically said, you know what? It's going to be my thing. I had to create a reason why I was going to get excited about it. So the reason I created was it was going to help me build my network for my multi-level marketing business. So it was going to be great because that's the thing I wanted to do. But it has so far surpassed that other business, like so far. I really love it. I mean, I've constantly sort of grown and developed it into something that I really want to do and love to do. I get to cook food that I love to cook, like dinners, like soups and chicken pot pie and pickles, and then also fun things like breads. And I just started making marshmallows, which is super fun. I'm always just trying new things. And I absolutely have always loved being in the kitchen. And I really love it. It's just developed into something that has been so close to my heart. It has also created an opportunity for me, not only to meet so many people, but for them to be with each other. Like it's a community place where people run into each other, which is so fun. Yeah. We see each other out like in the world, <laughs> like <it's> <laughs> or something. I get recognized kind of like a local celebrity, which is a little weird, but also super fun. So it really just started with me being really irritated with my husband about an idea he had into something that I truly, truly love. I think the best part about all of this, everybody, is that it wasn't something you wanted to do. 
It wasn't like it really wasn't. I'm so excited. <laughs> I was like, you do it. No. <laughs> and now it's just, it's such a part of you. It's just, it's grown and morphed into something. Even, I don't think you even could imagine that was going to happen. Happen yeah, from not it. even close. Yeah. From the farm stand grew the cookbook. So I have a cookbook coming out in the spring. It's the Urban Dreamer Farm cookbook. It came from that. Now, granted, I was working on a family cookbook for 30 years before that. So it's that and this sort of combined into one. But I don't think it ever would have come to fruition without the farm stand. No, I love this, though. It's like, here you are. This could have easily have been like, I don't want to do this. I'm just I'm not going to. But it did. And now it's just such a it's such a beautiful thing. That's one of the things that Adrian does share with everybody else is how you can also have that beautiful life like how you can move forward in those ways. And I think that that's such a critical part of this belief in yourself is that even though all of these circumstances are going to happen, that have every reason to tear you down, put you down, decide that you can't do it, as long as you keep one step forward, dip your toe in, keep trying, just believe that something's going to happen. You can have these amazing things that come to fruition. Does it all happen overnight? No, but that's, I think Adrian's a perfect example of just doing that work and moving forward, that belief in yourself. Yeah, I really think that it's building this pattern in you, building your own pattern that says, okay, when I really want something, how do I teach myself to move forward in belief that I can actually get it, that I can actually achieve it? Learning the pattern. It's not something that you can just do. You have to practice. And it doesn't feel very good to practice. I have to to admit. (laughs) Remember, if our brain's going to be lazy, our brain's going to tell us all the ways we can't do it. It is this pattern that you try over and over and over again of just being able to say, wait a minute here. My first step is, do I just believe that it's possible? Believe in myself, believe that I can do this. And then your brain will say, start looking for the evidence to start making it happen. And that's really, I think, the most important part of it all. So this has been such an amazing discussion that Adrian and I have had. One of the things that I think really sums this up, I was going back and thinking of some of my old thoughts and I have something I had written a long time ago that really just spoke to me. And it was our opinions of ourselves are sometimes surrounded by our thoughts of what others think or our thoughts of others' thoughts. And I think this story just really puts that all in perspective. Adrian had people that believed in her, people that supported her. And even during the dark times, there were still people that were supporting her, helping her. But the greatest thing is when she decided, I'm going to believe in myself. I'm going to take my own life and believe I can do it and just make it happen. And she has. So I love it. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your story. Of course. So Adrian, where can people find you if they want to learn more about all of the wonderful things that you offer people? I'm in a lot of places so I ha- and, I, and I offer a lot of things. If you want to learn more about my farm and the farm stand in Northern California, it's going to benefit you if you're in Northern California, but maybe not as much if you're not local, because I don't really ship very many things, but you can find me at urbandreamerfarm.org for that. I'm also a business and life coach. And if you want to learn more about working with me and setting on your own path of belief and achievement, you can find me at adrianevitt.com. And if you want to learn more about my new book, We didn't talk about my planner. We didn't talk about your planner. So while I was writing my cookbook, I was working with an editor. And now I told you this has been like a 32-year project, right? Mm -hmm. It's been a really long project. But I just started working with an editor like maybe a year ago. And I just finished all my pieces. And she was working on it. And we were starting to do the back and forth of the editing, which is a cumbersome process, to say the least. And I was complaining to her because I was just about to enter my busy season, which is like Thanksgiving time because I make pie and everybody wants pie for Thanksgiving. And they are amazing. (laughs) 
Thank you so much. Yes. Julie has had some of my pies because I brought them to an event that we went to. (laughs) Cooking is how I love people. So when I go places, I bring pie with me or cupcakes or whatever. But I was looking for a new planner for myself. And I kept looking and I kept finding things that would come kind of close, but then I would want something else to go with it. Or I would find something even closer, but then it wasn't dated. It was just all crap. Like I couldn't find what I wanted. So I decided I would just make one. I mean, I was working with this editor anyway. I'm like, I think I can just make it and then figure out how to print it. And then I'll have my own planner and then I'll be happy. And I mentioned this to her and she basically did the biggest gasp ever. She was like, are you going to publish it? And I was like, well, I guess I could. (laughs) So she said, okay, we're red lighting the cookbook for now. We're going to green light the planner. Let's get it out so that people can buy it for 2024. And I was like, okay. So we did. We basically took this planner, which is called the Extraordinary Planner, and we created it within two months. Within two months, it was on Amazon. And it is so awesome. It has everything. It's dated. It's got sections for setting a vision and getting clear on what you want and prioritizing and creating the habits that you need to create what you want. Don't you hate it when a planner tells you which habits you're supposed to have? Absolutely. Because how do they know that that's the habit I'm supposed to have? Man, why? I don't need you to tell me to drink water every day. Like, come on. (laughs) I have my own things. Thank you very much. So yeah, it's got everything for business that you need and personal. It keeps you organized. It helps you solve problems. It's basically got 24 years of corporate executive experience and all my business coaching experience in a planner that helps you solve problems, take notes, do journaling, write your tasks down, come up with designs and ideas. And it also keeps you organized with things like budgets and meal plans and keeping your accounts straight and all that stuff. So You can tell I'm really excited about this planner. It's finally something that I am so, so excited to use myself because it has everything I need. (laughs) It's really good for busy people who have like multiple passions, projects, businesses, kids, like lots of things going on. It's good for that. So the Extraordinary Planner is available at theextraordinaryplanner.com or on Amazon. I got a little, little extra. No, I think it's great because it just continues to show that sometimes your brain goes one path. And then, like you said, it goes a different path, a different direction. And all of it turns out amazing, simply amazing. So yeah, a year ago, I thought I was going to have a published cookbook, but instead I have a published planner and then the cookbook will be out in the spring, which I'm so excited for. Super happy about it. Yes. It's a really good thing. Because I also know her recipes in case those are wondering, it has gluten-free recipes, all sorts of things in there. So you definitely need to go follow her. Go find lots of keto, lots of just regular old comfort food. Yeah. Really good pie. I, I'm amazing at making pie crust. I'm going to brag about that a little. I spent a long time perfecting it, like 45 years. It's the and best. We'll take it. She can definitely, it is, her pies <laughs> are really good. <laughs> That's a fun thing. Thank you so much for coming and being here and helping us. For all my friends out there, when you are thinking about your brain, what you need to do, the first thing I ask everybody, do you believe in yourself? What would it look like to believe in yourself, believe that it can happen? And as you do that, your brain's going to find all the ways and it's going to be truly amazing so that you can truly know this is how I'm going to help my brain. I'm going to help my life and what I need to do moving forward. So until next time, this is Julie Lamb with What the Hell is My Brain Doing? If you love today's show, I would love for you to take a minute and give a five-star rating and a review. Subscribe and share with those that you know would love to learn more about managing their brains. If you're ready to join me, I want to invite you to coach with me where we uncover more about your brain so that you can have the life and business you dream about. 
Manage your brain is more than just a thought. It is a possibility. Go to www.julielamcoaching.com to learn more. I believe in you, and I hope you believe in you too. This is how we do it. Stick with it. See you soon. Have a great day.